Thank you, choir. As I said, as we opened worship, uh, we will be using Matt Rawls' book, um, The Heart That Grew Three Sizes, Finding Faith in the Story of the Grinch. And we use this as kind of our starting point for planning our worship for this Advent and Christmas season. And as I was reading through the book, the first thing that jumped out to me was this. Rawl points out that while we are told that the Grinch hated Christmas, we're never told why. You heard that with our Advent candle reading. At the very beginning of the story, we are told that every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. Not disliked Christmas, not was annoyed by Christmas, not didn't care for Christmas. What Dr. Seuss says is that the Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask me why, the story says. No one quite knows the reason. The only attempt the story makes to explain this strange phenomenon, this one person in the story who hates Christmas, is this. It could be that his head wasn't screwed on just right. Or it could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. It could be, um, oh, I'm sorry, but I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. How many of you are saying this as I say it? That's all we get. I know that the last few remakes of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, if you've seen them, the 2000 live action one with Jim Carrey and the 2018 animation version with Benedict Cumberbatch, they try to give us some insight into why. Um, they try and answer the why, but the original work by Dr. Seuss doesn't tell us why. It doesn't answer this gnawing question. Why does the Grinch hate Christmas? Please don't ask me why, the story says. No one quite knows the reason. Why is a question that we are all very familiar with. We ask why, or we hear why, all the time, whether it be from a child asking about all the things. Why is the sky blue? Why does it rain? Why do I have to eat broccoli? Why do I have to do homework? Why do I have to make my bed? Most of these we can answer, even if they aren't satisfying answers, but sometimes life shows us whys or gives us whys that we can't answer. Why did this happen to me, or her, or him? Why do bad things happen at all? Why does hunger and sickness and evil and hurt exist? Why? It doesn't make sense. Please don't ask me why we hear. No one quite knows the reason. Rawls says in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Dr. Seuss completely avoids the question over which we most hunger. The why. The story of the Grinch presents us with this fact of the, Grinch the Grinch's hatred as the beginning of the story. That's it. In the same way, Rawls says, the season of Advent begins with the reality of sin and suffering in our world. These are the starting points 
of the story, the things from which Jesus comes to redeem us. In worship today, we have already lifted words from a prophet and the song of a psalmist. The prophet longs for God to show up, to move in a mighty way. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, the prophet says. You did awesome deeds among us once. You came down. Remember us. Consider we are all your people. The psalmist in faith proclaims, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. If you read through all of Psalm 80, you find the psalmist is speaking on behalf of a people who have lived on a diet of tears and loss and sadness. They hunger for restoration. They've lived through darkness. They cry out for God's face to shine on them. Everything seems wrong. And these ancient voices wonder, how long, O Lord? How long? The season of Advent begins with us joining these ancient voices. How long, O Lord? How long? As Reverend Fleming Rutledge says, every year, Advent begins in the dark. Every year, Advent invites us to confront realities, to look deeply at what's wrong in the world, why our best laid plans don't always work out the way we mean them to, why our greatest hopes are sometimes confounded, why things happen the way they do, why sometimes it's so hard to see where God is acting. You know, Advent's an interesting time in the calendar life of the church. It's an interesting time for the disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Just as the holiday cheer is gearing up, the lights going up, the trees going up, the school hallways are decorated, the music is already blaring, it's the most wonderful time of the year, the church gathers and begins the season by reminding ourselves that all is not as it should be. We still have so many whys that we want answered. For instance, why do we do this? Why do we remind ourselves this? It isn't like we don't know that bad things happen. We watch the news. We are aware. Do we really need a space in the Christian calendar to name it? Just when we're trying to lean into the joy of Christmas that only comes once a year. As Rutledge says, yes, we need it. Not to convince people that evil is out there, not to make ourselves sad, not to make sure that Christmas isn't too joyous, but to take time to see our place within it. Because the truth is, like the Grinch, we all have the capacity for hate, for our hearts to shrink, to be two sizes too small. So we gather, and we begin in the dark. 
We name the reality of sin and suffering in our world as the starting points of the story, the things from which Jesus comes to redeem us. But that's not all. We gather in the darkest part of the year, the time of year where we get the longest night, and we light a candle. Because Advent is most importantly a season of hope, of spiritual preparation, of awaiting the unexpected, of finding God in unexpected ways, of waiting for light and life to be birthed among us. Advent is hope in the darkness. A few years ago at Parkway Hills, we switched out our purple candles for blue candles. As early as the 12th century, some churches started using blue for Advent because as one theologian says, blue candles symbolize the color of the night sky right before morning. That time when the deepest dark is just infused with hints of light. Blue holds the promise that the sun will rise and that even after the bleakest, coldest, longest night, the light will break forth as a new day arrives. Blue may be the color of sadness, but it is also the color of hope. We gather each Sunday in the darkest part of the year to light a candle and to name that even when darkness surrounds, even when everything is wrong, even as we proclaim, how long, O oh Lord, how long, Light breaks through. What are we waiting for? What do we long for? Well, it's not a Christmas morning to open presents and enjoy a meal. We're waiting for God's face to shine so that we might be saved. We're waiting, as one theologian says, for God to renew and heal the world. A promise that we understand to have been mysteriously embodied in a baby born in a manger. Hear now from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, and the first words for Joseph, do not be afraid. 
The account of the angel visit to Mary in the Gospel of Luke has these words as well. Do not be afraid. We're told Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. But I doubt Joseph knew all that this would entail. Put parenting aside, because none of us knows all the joy and the drama of parenting when our children enter into our lives, do we? Preparing to meet and to raise a child requires its own angels to daily say, do not be afraid. But Joseph wasn't just becoming a parent. Joseph would be charged with parenting Emmanuel, God with us, the light of the world. Beginning today, we will once again gather each Sunday in the darkest part of the year to light a candle. To name that even when darkness surrounds, even when everything is wrong, even as we proclaim, how long, O oh Lord, how long, light breaks through. There's something interesting about light. As we make our own individual journeys in life, we don't really need a spotlight beaming so brightly that everyone is blinded. We can actually navigate our entire journey in the dark as long as we have enough light to see the path right in front of us. Joseph doesn't know what his life or Mary's life or the life of Jesus holds, how this will play out. Joseph doesn't know all the things. But Joseph doesn't need all the questions answered. He just needs enough light to see the next step he must take. My friends, the embracing of God's light into the world did not and does not mean that people do not still experience darkness in their lives. It doesn't answer all the whys. Advent hope rests in the promise that in the darkness, we will see the light. Enough light to see the path right in front of us. Enough light to see the next step we should take. That and a promise that we will never walk alone. We have Emmanuel, God with us. And one day, our God will make all things right. Until then, we wait, we light a candle, we keep watch, and we pray. Amen.